installment of what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I've explained on a couple of occasions why I've broken it down to nine separate parts. I won't go into it again. Jesus has, during this sermon, preached, preached on such things as the kingdom of heaven, such things as how we need to seek it first. He has taught such things as how to pray, how to no longer be anxious. He has given personal applications of his message. And now in this final installment, he turns to a point where he's going to do two things. He's going to give his audience a choice. Fortunately, Jesus was not a lawyer. Lawyer is always talking threes. I give, bequeath, and devise. We always use three words when one would be sufficient. Jesus, instead of giving three choices, gives two. He says, here's a choice, and here's a choice, and he's going to give some examples of these choices. And then he's going to do what many sermons do, call for action, call for a decision to do something. So we're going to take a look at this in this final part of the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 13. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow for the, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This is a portion of Jesus' teaching that pastors need to read regularly. Why? Because for pastors who are in large churches, sometimes they get the misunderstanding that just because they have a large congregation doesn't necessarily mean they have a lot of disciples in it. Or for the pastor of a small congregation to feel unworthy and somehow depressed because he doesn't have a lot of people hearing his message. Jesus says that, there, that the gate is narrow to go into the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of consistent through the scriptures. We can go all the way back to Exodus when the 12 are sent to spy out the land. It is the majority who says we can't go. It's only two of the 12 that says, yes, God has given them into our hands. And so when you find yourself in the majority of something when it comes to religious things, you start maybe asking, am I on the right path? I remember all the way back in law school, which was many decades ago, the law school I went to was a, had fundamental Christian values. And some of the people that attended didn't like it. And I, I used to say, well, you know, they didn't hide it in the, in the catalog. They clearly said this, this was a Christian institution and this was the denominations that backed it and whatever. And I go, you didn't like it. You could have always gone to another law school. 
So many people knew that I was a believer. And I remember speaking to this one fellow uh, student of mine, knowing that I was a believer. He says, you know, Joe, you are so reasonable. Everything we discuss, you're a very reasonable person. You know, he's trying to get on my good side. But he goes, when it comes to this salvation thing, you're very narrow-minded because you say that Jesus is the only way into heaven. Well, I said, well, the scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved, that there's no other name under heaven where men might be saved. So I go, when Jesus says these things and when the scripture says these things, and I've come to a conclusion that that's correct, that that's right. I said, to me, it would be no different than this shirt. We can decide to call it any color we want. But if we come to an agreement that says this shirt is black, then it is not unreasonable to say that this shirt is black. I'm simply stating a fact. And if Jesus is the only way into heaven, then I'm not being narrow-minded. I'm being factual. And it is not me who's closed-minded because I didn't set up the rules. Because quite frankly, I'd pick fewer people. The, narrow, the way would be even narrower. You've got to like me. And, you know, so that gets to be few people. So Jesus is saying there is a narrow way, that gate, into the, into the kingdom of heaven is narrow. And that narrowness is because you must believe that God raised him from the dead and you must confess, which means I did it. Notice it's not profess. Well, Jesus is Lord. That's saying it's true. The demons say he's the son of God. They profess it, but they don't confess because they don't act in accordance with that confession. And so we are to confess, yes, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my boss. That puts you on that narrow gate. So there's two choices. You can choose the broad way, the popular way, the way that most people will go, or you can choose the narrow gate. Then Jesus moves on in his choices. And in verse 15, he says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus in this, there are those, when you're trying to decide which way to go and how to live, are going to be false prophets. They're going to tell you things that are wrong. And if you believe them, you could find yourself on the wrong road or in the wrong gate or being the wrong decision. So says, you need to be aware of false prophets. And as much as that is true in Jesus' time, because people before Jesus and people after Jesus claim to be the Messiah and claim to have God's message to them, there are still people today who want to tell you what God wants you to do. And most of the people what God wants you to do is send them a bunch of money. And they'll pray for you. 
or they'll do whatever, or you'll get blessings or whatever. But they're interested in their own thing. And he's saying, beware, because false prophets may on the outside be dressed up like sheep. They may look like you and me. But on the inside, not only are they wolves, but they're very, very hungry wolves who seek to destroy the flock. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about judging? This is a determination, and Jesus is going to say, how do you know between a person who is an actual prophet and a false one? You'll know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruit. In today's world, this should be something easy to remember. When we, we don't call an apple tree a pear tree. We call it an apple tree because it bears apples. Now, maybe a Macintosh or a Gala or a Red Delicious or a Yellow. It may be different, but we call it an apple tree. Or we know a peach tree is a peach tree because it produces peaches. You are known, therefore, by the type of fruit you bear. And Jesus is saying, just as you can say, well, there's a fig tree. How do I know it's a fig tree? Because it produces figs. That's an apple tree. How do I know it's an apple tree? Because it produces apples. Jesus says, you will know who is a true prophet because they bear the fruit of the Love, joy, gentleness, kindness, peace, all those things of the fruit of the Spirit. A good tree produces those fruits, and you can say, that's a believer, because I can see the fruit. I'm not judging, I'm an inspector. And likewise, you can determine in your own life and take a look, what type of fruit am I bearing? First, am I bearing any fruit at all? Now, the sad thing is, in a lot of churches, when they hear bearing fruit, what they think of are believers. That somehow you need to be an evangelist and produce new. And, and there is an aspect that you are to be an evangelist. But your job is not to convert anybody. Your job is to be a witness. It is the Spirit's job to do the conversion. So the fruit that you and I are to produce is the fruit of the Spirit, which is then a life that others would say, what you say and what you do is consistent, so I'll listen to you. But the distinction is serious. You see, 
I can decide I want to travel somewhere and get on the wrong freeway. And fortunately, there's enough freeways in California, I can then choose to get on another one to go the right direction. But Jesus says, if you're a bad tree, your destination is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's scary. So we are to look not only at those who claim to be teachers of prophets, though unfortunately, as I speak, through the years that I speak, you just say, well, this Joe, now his fruit may be really small, but is he bearing any? And is he bearing more and better fruit as the years go by or not? But then also we should look at our own lives and say, am I today bearing more and better fruit than I did a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? And if not, to be seeking God's intervention make us good fruit and good trees. And then he says something very disturbing again. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? He's saying, didn't we do a lot of good stuff, God? And we did it in your name. We did it according to your credit card. We said, be healed, and the person was healed. And we said, demon be cast out, and it was cast out. And we performed all these miracles, and we did it in Jesus' name. Jesus isn't looking for what you do. Notice what he says. And in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, it is not what, again, the gospel is not what you do, but what God has done. God is not impressed if you are the pastor of multiple churches with tens of thousands of members who are baptized thousands daily. That doesn't impress God. What he wants to know is, do I know? not what you say, but that I know you. Now, for those of you who get a little nervous here about, well, maybe I was saved and, then, and, and maybe I messed up and maybe I'm not saved. Notice Jesus doesn't say, well, I, I forgot your name. Or I used to know you. Or you were doing well and then I just, I never knew you. 
They started out on the wrong road, continued on the wrong road, was the wrong tree, and Jesus never knew them. The scriptures tell us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not life, not death, not tribulation or distress, famine, nakedness, nothing. So nothing that we can do can separate us once Jesus knows us. The question is, did he ever know us? So he says, there are two gates, and there are two types of trees. And now he's going to get down to two types of foundations, and he's going to make you make a decision. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. The rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now notice Jesus doesn't spend any time talking about what kind of house was being built by the wise man or the foolish man. And if you take a look at our lives, sometimes we'll know those people who, when they build their houses, are very much into planning. Get an architect, determine that they want six bedrooms and seven bathrooms and major kitchen and why, and they do all these things and they build their house with all this intention and whatever. And then there are those who build haphazardly. Well, I don't know, I, I don't have a plan, but I just do this and I do that. And we kind of live our lives that way as well. I just do this and I kind of do that. And, and, and we find out that the, the, the bathroom and the kitchen are in the same room and that's kind of gross, but we didn't mean to. It just, we kind of slapped it all together. And that's sometimes how we do our lives. It just kind of slapped together. Jesus says, it's not the house that you built on top. It's what's the foundation. And if you build your foundation on the rock, and as Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, the statement of faith, I will build. So when you build your life on Jesus, it doesn't matter what circumstances come against you during life. As a matter of fact, one of the things people have a great difficulty in is that they figure, well, if I either am a believer or at least I'm, I'm not against God, I believe that there's a God, and when bad things happen, they wonder, well, why, why is God mad at me? You know, winds blow and it rains and all these things happen. And as the scripture says, it rains on the just and the unjust. But when you have your foundation set, you can say, my faith is in God and let the wind blow. 
Let it rain, let it pour. Because I'm secure in who I stand on. But he says, those people are the ones who hear his words and does them. We are not to be hearers of the word, but doers of God's word. And the distinction between building your house on rock and building your house on sand is when Jesus taught us about anxiety, we do what he taught us. When he taught us about the golden rule, we do the golden rule. When he taught us about seeking first the kingdom of God, we do those things. It may not be perfect, but we attempt them because we are trying to do the will of God. But instead, there are those who like to come and, as the joke says, well, it's a pretty good show for 25 cents, and, well, it was either a good sermon or a bad sermon, and the music was good or it was bad or it was whatever, or I didn't like it, and, you know, I like the hymns or I like hip-hop or whatever it is. And we're always judging whatever, rather than, well, the delivery was terrible. But when the pastor said, we're to love our enemies. Since that's what Jesus said, maybe I want to do that. He didn't say it very well, but that's what Jesus said. But Jesus is calling for us to make a decision. You've heard his word. You've heard his message. And the question is, are you going to build your life and by doing what he says, are you going to build your life on hearing but doing something else? But Jesus has promised that if you build your life on him, the outcome will be sure. And if you don't build your life on him, the outcome will be sure but not the outcome you want. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribe. I read this and I, I find gratitude and in, 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 in whatever and I find a touch of sadness. Because they acknowledge that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He spoke as one having authority. You see, when I say that you should treat others the way you want to be treated. I don't speak with authority in the sense of I know what he's talking about. It's I know who's talking about it and I know he's right. But when Jesus speaks it, he practices entirely what he preaches. When he tells us to rely on God and seek the kingdom of God first, it's because he relies on the Father and seeks the heaven first. He speaks with authority. 
And they're amazed because he's, which in, in essence they shouldn't be because he's the son of God. He left the father to be here. He should know what he's talking about. So in a, in a portion of it, they shouldn't be amazed. It should be, that's right. He's the son of God. But just as they were amazed at his miracle, they were amazed at his teaching. But you know what it doesn't say? And all who heard him believed in him and followed him. It doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, probably the vast majority didn't. Why do I say that? Because in a few years from now, the crowds will call for his crucifixion. There isn't even enough of a minority to cause a dissension. Crucify him. Crucify him. We have no other king. He does do something that changes everything. He was raised from the dead. And that's how I know in my life he has authority to say this even though I didn't hear it. Because the facts are he didn't stay in the tomb. And since the facts are he didn't stay in the tomb, then I'm going to follow what he says. Even though it may seem counterintuitive, maybe even though I'm a complete failure at it, because he is the Son of God. And I want to follow him. And I want him to know me. And I even want him to say when I come into his presence, well done, good and faithful slave. I don't know what type of house I'm building. Don't know what type of house you want to build, whether it's a planned architectural wonderful house or one just slapped together but make sure it's built on the rock. That rock is Jesus, and that rock is doing what he said. So in a moment, the band's going to come, and we're going to sing, Build My Life. For you see, the point is not for us to face one direction, sing some songs, have a few prayers, listen to a guy who may either have a good sermon or a bad sermon or a good day or a bad day, sing another song and two and then leave. The point is to not only know a little bit more about Jesus, but to be a little more like him and to make sure we heed his warning that we're doing what he said, not just hearing it. And all God's people said,